I need my religion, Christianity, because it gives me a definitive framework in how to discern what is good and what is evil, and also gives me hope for the future, for the future of the world and for eternal life. I don't really have need for religion anymore because I've spent a lot of time deconstructing from toxic beliefs, um, particularly those connected to evangelical Christianity. But the freedom from the rules and regulations and the box of religion has been really freeing and great for my mental health, to be honest, as well. I think religion has the potential to enrich your life, and it has done that for me. And I think it can challenge um, a person to be the best version of themselves. I personally felt that I was a much more ignorant and less caring person when I was religious. People who say they don't need religion are people who live in a society that has benefited from religion, and when they eventually throw it away, that society will realise why religion was a good thing again. I think religion appeals to us on a biological level, like psychologically and physiologically. It appeals to the human need for certainty and helps us feel safe. I still can't get away from the fact that there's something in me that is a yearning for spiritual connection, and so I'm on that journey. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day friends of the show, thanks for listening to Ideas Digest. If you would like to show your support, head over to ideasdigest.org, sign up, become a plus subscriber, you'll get access to exclusive content, or you can just buy us a coffee. Won't buy coffee with it, but I'll use it for other things to keep the show going. Thanks for your support, enjoy the episode. Alright, g'day, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast that builds bridges. Between worlds at war. How do you like that one? That's good. Did you come bad. up with that I yourself? Did. I oh, really wow. did. Yeah, yeah. Look <laughs> at that. You know the toilet. You should get things. a podcast. That's good. Yeah. Damn bloody right. I yeah. should. <laughs> My name's Conrad, and if you're a new friend of the show, welcome, old friends. Welcome back, old friends indeed. Welcome back, good friend of the show, Doctor Pete Rollins. Yeah, it's great to be back. Good to yeah. remember that you're a doctor. Uh, thank you very much. To remind um, all the listeners. Is that right? That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. we're we're doing this in my hometown now. We are yeah. in your hometown, and if you're watching on the YouTubes, it's a very nice hotel. And I've got my uncle behind us here. <laughs> you there? The looks didn't carry, but... No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I've been at this thing in Belfast mm-hmm. uh, called Wake. Um, now, people are asking me, they're like, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, I've got a mate in, in Belfast, he's like, what are you here for? I'm like, ah, oh, it's like... I'll just describe it for you, and I'll describe it for for listeners of the show before you get the chance to kind of really give it the, the good pitch. Yeah. Uh, so we go into this small room. It's like a bit dim. It's there's a bar at the back, which is a bit unorthodox. Uh, there's about forty or fifty people. They're all gathered in a room. We listen to speakers for like forty or forty to sixty minutes, depending, thinking and discussing like life's big questions. You know, what is life? What is death? What happens after death? We do some weird music stuff together sometimes. Um, some like liturgical, like communal music, listening to some up music, uplifting music. We'll discuss things in small groups. We'll eat together. We'll drink together and do some like artistic kind of things together. Now, Pete, let's be honest with each other. Give us one word and, and friends of the show listening, give us, give us one word to describe the kind of thing that I've just described, what would you sum it up as in one word? In one word, like decentering. <sighs> See, I knew you'd go to some deep philosophical place. Like, <laughs> hey, there's it, a bloody church. I've described a oh, church. Oh. <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> I've just gone. Oh. If, you're, if you're listening, you're like, yeah, uh, well, Conrad, you just, you just went to a church for a week. I'm like, well, and if it was a church for a week, it's going to be some kind of conference. Mm. And you know, like Hillsong conference or like a tiny Hillsong conference. Uh-huh. Uh, so it has like those elements. What I, what I want, normally, you know, you've been on here a couple of times. I'd judge you. We've judged each other already. We've kind of got it out of a system. Although I don't know if you've judged me. I don't think I've ever judged you. Say, maybe your clothing sense, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give us, give us like a, a run of the mill, some blanket judgments you may have had before we met. 
whatever, you know, Australian accent, this guy's probably bogan or I don't know. Just you hit me and, and you get him off your chest and we'll yeah. get him out in the open. Well, see, the truth is, like, because I was thinking there, like, I don't even know, you know, all I know is, like, when we've hung out, you're a good guy. Like, I don't even know, I don't know what you believe or don't believe or what you think. Come on, mate, judge me. What's that? What do so you I think I believe? It? You're like, oh, this guy. I've never a, thought about it. We're in a fancy <laughs> shirt. You know, you're, the only thing I can say is you're a very striking looking man. Oh, you're very, thank you're very you. attractive. You're very easy on the eye. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you that's are. nice like, to that's hear. That's maybe why the podcast does well. Yeah, you know, it's audio got, only. Yeah, yeah, is that right? Okay, <laughs> that's why I'm getting into video. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's about the only things going. Okay, if like if this podcast doesn't work out, maybe male modeling might I be think, a thing. No, you're an attractive man. Thank you. Yeah. I think I'm in the wrong industry. Uh, I did an episode with a friend of the show, Joe, Doctor Joe Court, and he's a, um, he's like a. I guess he'd be like a therapist um, and he's got a husband and a partner and he was talking about, and the clickbait for that episode was uh, straight men enjoy gay sex. Yeah. And the YouTube algorithm like picked it up and it, it really just, that episode. That's hit, very good. Hit, well, uh, hit a pocket and in the comments, that was the friendliest, like YouTube, you know, you're on YouTube. Yep. The comments in the YouTube, those are the nicest comments I've ever seen on YouTube. And maybe this because they're a little bit flattering. I've hit a niche. A lot of these uh, gentlemen were just like, well, that man is very handsome, you know, nice eyes. I'm like, yeah, I'm no. in the wrong industry. Yes. Are, are you the, as in the wrong, the wrong sexuality? Is that what you're talking <laughs> about? Yes. You I'm, might do well if you were gay. You know, I think maybe, I probably yeah. would. Yeah, yeah, I, would. I didn't yeah. do great with the ladies. I nabbed one, which yes. is, I guess, all yeah, I need all at the moment. Needs, you know, um, so. so anyway, anyway, what, what I want you to do, I, I, I'm kind of going to, because I feel like you can talk on anything. Yeah, we, we throw at you. And this week, I have my own kind of assumptions that I've come to sitting and watching this program, Wake, that you've put on. I suppose before I get to what I want you to talk about, talk, talk to me about then Wake. It sounds like a church. Mm-hmm. How, how are you pitching it? Yeah, so, well, maybe I should start with the name then. That's yeah, the easiest okay. thing because a name tells you. Like, if, if often a book, if it's a good title, uh, the name tells you something important about what the philosopher is doing or the writer is doing. And so Wake, um, it's not just a name we picked from the sky. It's, it, it, it captures something. So a wake is a type of ritual in which we come to terms with death. With, uh, with, uh, where you come to terms with a loss. So uh, it's a very Irish thing. Often you get together, you drink together, you laugh, you cry, you remember who has died. There's often a time where you see the body that's laid in someone's house. And Wake is a festival in which we come to terms with loss, with death. Uh, now, one of the themes, maybe I shouldn't get too deep into it, but one of the themes that I, we were looking at this year is how uh there is a sense in which there is life after death uh, and we are the evidence. And what I mean by that is in psychoanalysis, there's this notion that as we come to selfhood at, at about three months called the mirror phase, there's a point where the infant comes to a sense of self and I, and when there's an I, there's a thou. And there's a not I. So before there's an I, there's no not I. There's just kind of like maybe you and the mother. But when you start to be able to cognize yourself as a self separate from other people, there's an experience of a profound loss. Now, it's not the loss of something because you are the result of the loss. You come into being with this sense of a death, a loss that, that marks you forever. And wake is really about coming to terms with that loss that's fundamental to being human, but also the losses that happen to us throughout our lives, the death of people we love, the breakup of relationships, the the loss of health or the loss of meaning, um, or the sense of guilt, which is a type of loss, a type of I am not who I should be. We all experience loss in different ways and wake is a place where we're through music and comedy and cabaret and talks, we provide space for us to mourn, to, to be able to symbolize what we've lost to be able to share it with other people and to be able to move on. So that's what Wake is. And it, it's, it, but it sounds, it sounds quite depressing, but it's actually lots of comedy, magic, cabaret, um, because there's something joyful about a wake. Because whenever you go to a wake in Ireland, as I say, there's lots of drinking and laughing and crying. It's all mixed in. And when you're able to mourn a loss, and many people are mourning the loss of religion. A lot of people who come to wake have lost some element of their religious life. Maybe their childhood faith has died um, and they're mourning that loss. Mm -hmm. 
So I suppose then if if you take these concepts and contrast them to what largely religion might be doing is that you're saying here's this space and life after death, meaning not obviously going to heaven, but continuing living after something terrible has happened, which has happened to everybody. And I suppose the contrast then is in society, it's like, oh, escape that, inebriate from that, ignore that. Some churches would be like, oh, don't worry, he'll be in heaven. Don't You don't Mm -hmm. have to be too sad. It's almost like there's the... You, there's a recognition, but then the quick quick papering over of it and let's ignore it and let's kind of keep moving. Whereas it sounds like this thing you've put together and these ideas you're exploring are in this recognizing the suffering that we all yes, encounter, yes. Yeah. noticing yes. what that is doing internally yes. and then moving on yeah. well, the, the God, embracing. The, the God, so the God of today is the God of the demand to enjoy. So... Psychoanalytically speaking, we live in the age, the today's religion is the religion of enjoyment. Um, now, in the past, there has been, there is what's called the God of Prohibition. So the God of Prohibition is the idea that all of us are, are uh, the word is castrated, but which means all of us have some sort of lack. All of us have been, by dint of being born, there's, you know, we can't be wholly complete and happy with one exception. And often that is seen as God, but it can be other exceptions like James Bond or whatever. So, or in Mad Max Fury Road, there's the the evil character who's the exception who can have everything. But there is traditional religion is we're all, we're all marked by lack, except for an exception, God. And maybe in the next life, we will, Mm -hmm. you know, be whatever. But that God isn't very powerful anymore, even in within churches or whatever. The God today, and LA is the Mecca of this, is that, but the God today is the God of the demand to enjoy, which means that we feel constantly this, this vocation or this demand to be whole and complete. We see always on Instagram images of people being happy, having the, this incredible lifestyle, and all of these adverts and movies, and everything is telling us to enjoy, that we can sacrifice sacrifice we can we can have this experience of unmitigated oceanic oneness so if that's the case I mean, you know let's do a big if because i have to argue why that's the case but mm-hmm. if it's the case that we live today with the god who demands enjoyment then wake is an exploration of a critique of that and interesting in Christianity, Christians don't believe in God. That's not what makes them interesting, right? Because um, loads of people believe in God. I mean, belief in God is actually very, um, is, uh, you would be surprised at how many people believe in God. Well, it sounds like when you're using these terms religion and God, you're categorizing almost everything. Everyone well, fits within some religious structure and we're all worshiping something. Well, well, okay, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. But, but in terms of the belief in just God, that's... Um, you know, that's a very common thing if like you ask people. super being God. Yes, there, or any right? being, yeah, yeah, God. But um, Christians believe in the death of God, right? And that's very unique. So that's unique. So, you know, if you look at all religions, you go like, well, what's unique about, what's what's kind of really interesting about Christianity? And you go like, oh, they believe in the death of God. We crucified Christ, right? Um, which is interesting because you go like, oh, death is in God. Lack is in God. So... If you take that radically, and confessional Christianity doesn't, unfortunately, but... So it doesn't take it seriously as far as they go, oh yeah, but he rose from the dead and we can live forever, and he died, but that was for our sins, and it was like a different use of the death. It's, it's well, like. well, yeah, that if you listen to kind of confessional theologians, they say that there is no lack in the absolute, basically. So, there is, so yes, there's different ways in which it's kind of said, but ultimately there is a non-lacking... A reality. Reality is not divided. There is a non, there is a non-lacking reality, and the signifier of that is God. And we can get there, going to heaven and following this path. Yes, we can get to the non-lack. Yes, we right. can get to the non-lack. Yeah. Or if we can't, at least there is one that can't. But but yes, but mostly right. yes, we can. We can uh, in the next life usually have that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you take the notion that there is lack within the absolute, which is an, a God dies, that the wounds are kind of eternal within God, that's a very different message and um, a very different kind of outlook on the nature of reality, which, by the way, I think um, is a, uh, fits with, uh, with biology, physics, mathematics. So the non-at-oneness 
well, very quickly I'll say it's a non at oneness in in politics is called democracy, right? In other words, the antagonism within the social body develops complexity. Two in terms sides of, always warring forever. Yes, yeah. But that breeds a society that can move yes. forward. As long as that antagonism is productive, yes. Whenever it becomes so divided, it destroys. But if you can have a productive antagonism within the social body, you create healthy society. Mm -hmm. Within biology, the name for the non-at-oneness of the biological organism with itself is evolution. Mm -hmm. um, within... Um, so it's like germs and things that like your body absorbs all these germs and that, that actually makes the immune system stronger and you move forward and you become immune to certain things. Right? You exactly. need that, that almost, you need that germ to be healthy. Yes. And, yeah. it's, and it's not just that the biological organism is not at one with its environment. So it's like there's a certain sense which evolution wouldn't work if the biological organism wasn't constantly kind of at war with itself, yes, with 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 things like germs and viruses and outside environments, mm -hmm. but also with itself, with dividing and kind of like an, a certain weird asymmetry that creates complexity within biological organisms. The name for this in physics is, you know, wave particle duality, the non-at-oneness of a particle with itself. The name of for this in psychoanalysis is the unconscious the non-at-oneness of consciousness consciousness is in a sense asymmetrical because we have like the subconscious yes they're unconscious and we don't yeah. know what's going on there and then we've got to work out what might be driving us that we're not aware of yes and the difference between say a union subconscious and freudian unconscious is in freud the unconscious is not so much something that exists the unconscious is the name for for the non-at-oneness of consciousness itself so it's not that it's an existent thing it's it's the name for the antagonism um and so there, and when in mathematics is called incompleteness theorem where mathematics falls into not being able to prove its own axioms so there's different names for this but the name in christianity is the crucified christ so the and the crucified christ basically means that there is a quantum dimension to reality you know, there's a, mm -hmm. that reality is not at one with itself, mm -hmm. that death is infused within life. You've kind of reorientated the, your definition of, of what a God is, whether it's going to be perfect or whether it's going to include these imperfections or these like yes. not at onenesses. And then when we take that operating definition, then you're talking about th there, everyone operates or seems to operate within this frame of a religious structure or a like mm -hmm. we're all worshiping some God. Cause you were saying LA is the most religious place. Yes. Yes. There's always, across. yeah. Like if you describe, if you would define, which I would, we have to show our working out. wouldn't have time for that, but <laughs> it, you know, if you were to describe religion, like concrete religious practice as a form of, as you say, I like what you're saying as a form of, being let's say woven into or devotion to a certain uh transcendence by something something you know beyond the material then yes and so i mentioned the god of the demand to enjoy which is the god today i mean everyone knows this in the sense that 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 but i say la is particularly good at it which is this there is a, a super egoic injunction to enjoy like we feel this demand to enjoy it's not that we want to enjoy i mean we, we want to enjoy but it's a demand to enjoy you're not you're not having enough sex you're not going out enough everybody else is enjoying you're not enjoying as much as them you need to do you need to do like that that kind of you know that voice it's not material it's not in the world it's not it's it's in you but it's kind of like it's it's an idea right so in philosophy, you know, there's materialism and there's idealism. An ideal, an idea isn't material. You know? yeah. So there is this kind of demand, and yeah. So th so that's religion. Um, yeah. Anyway. So yeah. yeah. So 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 yeah. I'm, I'm basically saying that there is a religious uh, quest, even vocation. Like, because some people dedicate their lives mm. to this demand to enjoy. You know, uh, whether it's commodity satisfaction, psychedelic enlightenment, sexual liberation, religious kind of new ageism. There's loads of ways in which people try to, they literally make it their vocation to try to enjoy, to try to, to answer the call of this God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. If religion is our movement mm -hmm. towards the, or beyond the non-material, mm -hmm. everybody is moving in some way beyond the material, whether it's towards an ideal or an idea. And this God of enjoyment is demanding that we go, oh, you can have perfection. You can have what you should have. 
if you do this, enjoy this, kind of move forever on that wheel towards being towards the what currently isn't ideal. It's like this never ending thing, but that's not the promise. Yes. The promise isn't that it's going to never end. The promise is just get this one and then you'll have perfection. You'll have yeah. the which, ideal. Yeah. Which, which is a way of saying, by the way, that it's weird. Like we're drawn by... So if you think of desire as a not having, you desire what in some respects is missing, right? And, and desire is a, is a type of gap, right? And so if you imagine we are driven by something that's not material, desire, which is a lack, but we are driven to try to fill it. That's the interesting thing. So we're always trying to overcome transcendence. Mm -hmm. So ironically, you know, a lot of a lot of the impetus that we see today is an attempt to. We're driven by something, this lack, this something we we can't, we don't have, but to overcome it. We're we're always wanting to overcome it. We want, and um, my my work is and the work that I do with parotheology is in a sense to go no no no. We have to enjoy not having. We, mm -hmm. There's a certain transcendence, a certain lack that is central to being human, central to life, and our obsession with trying to overcome it is actually what makes us more anxious, more unhappy, more suicidal, more hateful of the other because we're jealous of mm -hmm. others who seem to have what we don't. And um, to envy and jealousy, even like a lot of murders that you see in America are very much connected to the hatred of another who is perceived to be enjoying what you cannot get. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting enough desire from the opposite sex and other people are so I'm going to kill that person like we mm. hate the other who seems to be enjoying um, so this this uh, this pursuit of enjoyment not only makes us anxious but it makes us hate others who we fantasize are undivided yeah so we're looking at other people going and this is like how Instagram exists mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're looking at Instagram and you're like man that guy or girl is having so much damn fun yes they're living the perfect life yeah. If only I could do that. And then I post photos yeah. and someone may be looking at me being like, that guy's podcast is so successful. Look how great yeah. he is. Damn that guy. And we're all lying to each other. And in LA, so many times I see Instagram, people doing Instagram shots and the fakeness of it all. You know, they yeah. come out, they're, you know, <laughs> depressed and they sit and they take off their clothes or whatever, some of their clothes and they get <laughs> the little champagne the bottle right and they get yeah. the camera looking at the one angle that looks lovely. Yeah. And then they take the little video and then, you know, take it all down and go back. But we, the funny thing is we participated even 30, 40 years ago they had to pay, corporations had to pay actors to pretend to be unconstrated. Now, they don't have to pay actors to be uncastrated because we do it ourselves. Right, <laughs> we, they send we us pretend. a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly, send us a t-shirt <laughs> and we'll pretend to have the perfect <laughs> yeah. life. Um, and so we're participating in it. Because, by the way, this is the funny thing, is as soon as you get away from the pure enjoyment of infancy, which is a private enjoyment, the child, you know, nestles at the mother's breast and then falls back satisfied, right? That's private enjoyment. As soon as we enter into what's called the incest taboo, which is you can't stay there, you have to get substitute enjoyment in the world, and that you find the incest taboo in every culture. Once, once you have to get substitute enjoyment, you can never get pure private enjoyment again. And what I mean by that is, the other day, for example, I was reading a book and looking at a uh, this lake, this river called the Ligon. And I took a picture of it and put it on Instagram of me reading the book by the Ligon. They're like, why? Because if I was fully enjoying reading the book by the Ligon privately, I wouldn't care about taking a picture of it and sharing it. But what I need to do is get a substitute enjoyment, which is the enjoyment of people thinking that I'm having the pure enjoyment. And right? you thinking that they're thinking that you're yeah, um, having the pure yes. enjoyment. So yeah, that's where I get my enjoyment from mm. their, from, from, from thinking that they're thinking that I'm getting the pure enjoyment. That's why, you know, there's that old joke about this guy, Seamus, he's washed up on a desert island and one other person survives. And it's this woman, this model, absolutely beautiful. And Seamus is going like, listen, me and you should get together. It's only two of us on the island. And she's like, no way, you're, you're so beneath me, right? <laughs> but after about five years on the island, eventually she's like, okay, it's just the two of us. So they get together for the night, have this passionate, love, lovely night together, you know, lots of kind of raw sex and passion. And then the next day, they get up and he says, could you just draw a little moustache on your face? What? I've got this little moustache and put this hat on, okay? And then put my jacket on, okay? This is weird. Um, well, just do it and meet me down at the beach in 10 minutes. And she goes down to the beach in 10 minutes and Seamus runs up to her and says, oh, it's so good to see you. She said, 
you'll never you'll never guess who I just slept with, right? In other words, he had to have someone to tell that he slept with her. It's not good enough just to have the mm. sex. You have to you have to be able to tell your mates, right? Um, that's substitute enjoyment, which by the way means non-private enjoyment. It means now we're woven together that I can enjoy only when either you're enjoying my enjoyment or you're jealous of my enjoyment. So we are interconnected. But if I'm always thinking that you're having the enjoyment and I'm not, then that doesn't create social solidarity. Social mm. solidarity is created through us going, you know what, we've had, maybe you've suffered a lot more than me, but there's something about being human which, which is suffering in itself. Mm. And we all suffer loss, whether it's death or economic instability or bad health or, you know, all of these different things. And we actually, what we're unified in is that all of us are marked by lack. Mm. Even God, that's the key. Mm. That's the answer. Like even reality itself is marked by lack, which is a very profoundly uh, Christian notion that your lack is not filled by the divine. Your lack is reflected in the divine. Mm -hmm. So there's some level of connectedness we share with enjoyment, obviously, and, but you're saying a more powerful or connective experience is the connectedness through the suffering, through the lack, through somebody, the solidarity of the suffering of somebody else, which seems to link back to the top of wake yeah. and this pseudo church structure of something and brings me to what I want you to do. I have a, I have a lot of friends, friends of the show even, who'll always say to me, you know, Conrad, why, like, why this religious stuff? We keep dipping back in Ideas Digest, back into like these religious things. It's my background and, and it's always an interesting frame of things. And they've had similar upbringings to me. And, and the, the question is, is always the same. It's like, I don't need it anymore. I'm gone. I've left the church. I don't need it. And maybe some people have never even gone to some religious structure. They're like, well, what is the, what is the point? I don't, I don't need this. Church is kind of useless. And what I would, I'm wondering if you can do Given the curation of an event that can bring people together and sit in the lack and then mm. uh, think about things and, and wrestle together um, intellectually, of course. I don't know if there, maybe next year there'll be... Yes, there'll be a little bit of <laughs> actual, wrestling. actual wrestling. Yes, yeah, yeah, maybe actually. Yeah. Maybe have that yeah. idea. Um, <clears throat> so I want a defense of religion because there's, there's this, uh, you know... We all know the hostility that probably comes your way from friends of the show, maybe apologetic friends of the show or Christian friends or uh, confessional Christian friends of the show that are like, oh, this guy is off the rails. He's mm. an atheist. He's, he's leading people astray. Like, we kind of know that. That's old stuff. Mm. But what about the... I never get that. I don't get it. No, no. And conservatives I generally get on very, very well with because I share so many... I, sh I share so much with that. I like, I'm much more close to... Um, a very conservative type, like there's the conservatives, like liberals, for example, often think of Jesus as a good person who died because he was standing up against injustice or whatever, right? Conservatives are much more likely to go, we have to wrestle with the idea that this is a, a, a dead God, a dying and dead God. So I get on very well with all and that. Yeah. You know, after this <clears throat> week, I've, that's that's kind of where I've landed on this, is that I, I think on some level, you're, uh, you are a fundamentalist. Yeah. You are like taking these, these and, and a lot of the people there, when I was talking to them and where their background's mm. from and all this sort of stuff, it's, it's the people who went into religion, took it bloody seriously, yeah. did all the exams, got straight A's and got to the end and went, this, I feel like this question is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people coming from within the church or a church will go through it and they'll get to like the end or where they feel like something's not clicking, something's not making sense and, and half or whatever portion will leave and be like, I don't need this anymore. I'm out. And then another half, I would say your half, um, go, no, no, there's something in this and this isn't quite going far enough. I'm going to keep going further. Yeah. And so basically the, it's, like, it's like, if you imagine a planet that gets the density gets more and more and more till it becomes like a white star and then it actually rips through reality itself into you know into a wormhole or whatever it's like for me you go the deeper and deeper you go into say christianity the more intense and deep and contradictory it becomes until it rips through into something else 
And yes, my issue is when people leave, when people don't go all the way, they've always got the fantasy that if they did go all the way, then they'd be happy. Right? And they also, often a lot of people leave, say, Christianity because it doesn't work. And then they, they pick up psychedelic enlightenment, sexual liberation, commodity satisfaction mm. as ersatz gods. Yeah. And so they think that they're going to work. Mm. Now, this whole thing is what exactly you're saying is Christianity is an escape room where the only way out is to go all the way in and to become, to enter into what's called religionless Christianity. Um, and we can chat a little bit about yeah, what religionless Christianity is. But yes, I would love to answer this. So can I do a defensive yeah. religion? Yeah, okay, yeah. This is the <clears throat> point. The person's friend of the show who's sitting there... Uh, Michaela, I'm talking to you, <laughs> uh, who says, I don't need religion. I don't mm. need liturgy. I don't need church. I don't need any of this stuff. Yeah. Why the hell should I bother with religion? Yes. Pete, convert okay. me. Okay. Well, and then and evangelize. If, though, yes. No, and, if, and then people are free from the God of the demand to enjoy. So the street, it's just like we have, you know, I, and it's an it's a argument that someone might say doesn't exist. But if if the argument's true that we live in the age of the God of the demand to enjoy, and so we have this super egoic injunction to enjoy that is causing st social strife, social division, um, rise in anxiety, rise in uh, you know, panic attacks and other kind of things that are connected to this. Which if we stereotype society today, that is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Right? and by the way, that makes sense for a purely psychoanalytic there's a good book called uh, The End of Dissatisfaction by Todd McGowan. And he, he charts this, that, that yeah, with the, the God of the demand to enjoy creates certain things that we'd see, <laughs> we see in society at large, which could destroy everything. Like, you know, so why do we need religion? Um, right here, I'll tell you a quick story and I'll do it. So there's a story about um, a guy, Seamus, and he, um, Seamus enters a competition. He's a farmer. And this competition is to build a sheep pen. The idea is within 24 hours, you build a sheep pen, biggest sheep pen you can with the materials. Um, and there's three people, see who wins. And there's a Paddy Englishman, Paddy Irishman, Paddy Scotsman, right? So Paddy Englishman goes first and he builds a sheep pen with the material that can fit 50 sheep. So like, that's very good. And then the Paddy Scotsman, he builds a sheep pen that can fit 150 sheep with the same materials just okay. cleverly done very very good but as Seamus Paddy Irish man he doesn't do anything he's sitting there just getting an Irish tan you know going red in the sun and he realises oh shit I've got half an hour to go so he starts to he stands still and in front of him puts some, a piece of wood to his either side puts a piece of wood and behind him a piece of wood and he's painting it as the judges come up and they look at it and say listen that, that sheep pen is tiny. You know, you can't, you can't even get inside it, you know? And Seamus says, he says, hey, what do you mean? He says, I'm not standing in the sheep pen. You are, right? So the sheep pen is the entire world. And the one bit that's not in the sheep pen is the bit he's standing in, right? Now, that for me is the response to the, to the critique of, oh, you're religious. You're standing in the sacred. Yeah. So, no, 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 no. This is a profane temple. You're standing in the sacred. That This is Nietzsche's claim with the death of God, is that people think that they have escaped God. They've escaped this, these demands, this, this frenetic, they've, they've escaped the sacred dimension. But no, you get it. Everyone in LA, for example, is doing tea leaves and tarot readings, palm readers and psychics. Mm -hmm. People think literally buying stuff is going to make them happy, honestly. And you, and that doing CrossFit's going to fix everything that they, they're trying to kind of... Though. What's that? You look good, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those flipping the tires are good. But yeah, you meet these, you meet these people who almost, almost think that they can escape death, you know, make death contingent and all of these things. Right, and and they laugh at say the church, rightfully so. The confessional church doesn't do this, but and go, you're oh, you're standing in the sacred. I'm like, no, no, no. What I'm doing with parotheology is creating a profane temple. The point of 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 my, my work is to create deserts in the oasis of life, places of where we are, we're freed from the pursuit of happiness, where we're free from the frenetic pursuit mm. of enjoyment. Um, and can I tell you one more story about this? Mm. Because I think this captures it is again one more time about Seamus, right? But Seamus, due to an unfortunate set of circumstances, ends up living in Los Angeles, and he meets a spiritual community. Here, all into this stuff. Oh, they're talking about raw food diets. You know, they're talking about uh, crystals. They're talking about MDMA trips. They're loving it all, right? And polyamory, and. Seamus loves all of this, but particularly polyamory. He's like, seriously, polyamory. Tell me more about that. He says, well, you know, you can have a wife and a girlfriend. Seamus like, this is amazing. I have to go and tell my wife about this. So he goes off, 
few months later, he's back in the community, and the leader says, "Oh, Seamus, did you ever uh, did you ever talk to your wife about polyamory?" And he's like, "I did, and she loves it." He says, "Now I've got a girlfriend and a wife," and oh, the community's loving it, patting them on the back, self satisfied smiles. You know, he said, "What's your favorite thing about the lifestyle?" Oh, says Seamus, "It's amazing." He says, "He says now I can tell my wife that I'm with my girlfriend, and I can tell my girlfriend that I'm with my wife, and I can finally be left alone." Right now, that's my defensive religion that we need a space where we can pretend that we're having a good time, but where we can be left alone to, to, suf- to suffer, to mourn, to create space to hold and contain the lack that we have. In this world where everyone's saying enjoyment, 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 and you can't get away from the enjoyment. What Seamus did in that story is he found a way to hide from all of the enjoyment. Oh, you can have the stability of the family and you can have the fun of a, of a non-committed relationship. You can have it all. And that, that painful, anxiety-producing kind of pursuit of having it all, the stability of family, traditional values and the fun and games of sexual life without commitments and oh, how you can have it all. You need a space in the world where together you can have a communion gathered around a lack. That is transformative for the individual and for the community. That's my defense of the need for uh, radical theology communities. Because it sounds like your defense begins with the accusation of, to the person who's saying, I don't, I don't need this religion thing. Mm. You would, you would say you are religious and you are, we're all, you included, praying to some sort of God, serving some kind of God's demands on you, whether they're... Yeah. No, I don't know. Like, they, like, not everybody is. So, like, I, the you no, might not be... we could go everybody. We oh, could no, make it like... Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to say you, like, the, the people who are listening to this, some of you may not be caught in the demands you enjoy. So... Do you think it's possible? Like, I, I suppose that's the next stage is to go... Well, when I think about this pragmatically and go, well, like, I'll scroll Instagram and I'll be like, oh, man, that guy's having such a good time. I'm going to take a photo of me having such a good time yeah. doing this. And so, I so you guess... Need, you need to become a Christian still, right? That's salvation. So, yeah. So, so it, it, I heard of Jesus. Yes. No, so, for me, um, you know, salvation is where the freedom, the freedom from the pursuit of completeness and all that. Yeah. So, for me... Christianity is the existential embrace of the dividedness of in, of reality in its entirety. It's nothing to do with belief in God or not God. It's nothing to do with any of that. Christianity is a modality of life. It's a mode of being in the world. The mode of being the in the world. You kind of well, it's a mode of being, really, because a number of practices can do it. You know, like a practice can lead to a mode of being, like a way of seeing and interacting with the world. Yes, because I, that's I, what liturgy is. Yes, yeah, so liturgy, and that's what I do. Liturgy yeah. is a, is a technology designed to help people enter into this modality. Because I find it hard to imagine. You know, we we like the disclaimers. We're all individuals, right? Everyone's different. You're all like, no one can stereotype. But I do find it hard to imagine Mm -hmm. that many people, apart from maybe some mystic monk on a mountain somewhere, Mm. who who exists in this consumer-driven corporate world where you've got demands of work, whether it's the the demand to be successful, the demand to be happy, the demand to just be fulfilled, the demand of family, the demand of family value. I just find it hard to imagine that they that, that someone could be the exception to the rule yes. where someone isn't under the tyranny of some yes. kind of god yes. that creates anxiety that creates these things because we on some level as we're moving through life believe i can mm. have these things i believe yep, yeah. i can have like better like more fun yeah. travel times i believe i can if i buy this product oh then i'll be whole and complete and even though you you ask me kind of that laptop it's a nice laptop are you whole and complete i'm like no nah, but but part of me was when i got it i'm like hey maybe maybe yeah. like yeah. It's, no. it's like that subconscious drive so then it sounds like your defensive religion is to say religion through like can create these structures that and perhaps like wake is attempting to do mm. you can have these liturgies where we can sit with some people talk about sad stuff sit around think about very brain-breaking parables mm. like some you've shared where you're like oh, i don't think i get it but <laughs> we can grapple with it watch art participate in art and that liturgy may on some level transform us yes you know you're absolutely right like 
what you're saying is beautiful because what you're saying is um, you're kind of going like we live in the temple of the God of the demand to enjoy, right? So that's where we live in. Like all of us, if you're living in the Western world, if you're living under global capitalism, that is the um, the space you inhabit. And if we didn't inhabit that, we wouldn't need liturgical spaces like wake. We wouldn't need them because we wouldn't. So what you're saying is, in sense, we're all we're all in that temple. We're all therefore, even if we're not caught up in it, every time you open social media, that super egoic injunction mm. is there. Every time you look at Instagram, so it's there. And this is the defense exactly is the defense of the deserts and the oasis of of what's called transformance art, or is that that we need a space where we get distance. That's what Seamus was doing in that parable. He had to he had to find a way to get distance from all of the enjoyment just for a bit. Mm. So for one hour a week, we have a place where we're free not to pursue what will make us happy. We're free to kind of share each other's lack um, to, um, because that's what love, that's what Lacan says love is, is. He says love is giving what you do not have to someone who doesn't want it. And what that means is to love is to, to take your lack, your desire, your vulnerability, what you do not have, and give it to the other. Say, here's my lack, my vulnerability. And someone, often we do want someone's lack. Whenever you're on a, a dating app, you're looking for someone who's going to complete you, someone who's got the thing. You don't want someone who's basically giving you their vulnerability. This is why dating apps always don't overly work very well, because they can't, every profile is basically making you look good. You can't find a way to give your lack. I have a friend, by the way, who mothers love him because he's always giving his vulnerability. He has this ability to to um, emanate a sight, a vulnerability, a lack. And then mothers always want to cook him a meal, <laughs> you know, and look after him, you know. So he's giving what he does not have, his vulnerability, and they are taking it on. Anyway, the, the point being that because we live in a space where we cannot get space from the demand to enjoy, we need art, music, spoken word, a space where we can f kind of find a way to be free from that a little bit. Because even if you're free from it, like even if you're not completely taken up by it, every day you're getting beaten over the head. They're trying to bring us back into it. They're trying to make us say that if you buy this product, it'll be great. If you just this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. So yeah, the defense of what I would call religionless um, spaces. So religionless is, is what comes out of it. Religionless community is a community that enacts a space that critiques and exorcises, ex an exorcism, an exorcism of the God of the demand to enjoy, mm -hmm. which is the serpent in the very beginning of the Bible. You eat this, you'll be like God. Mm -hmm. You will lack the lack, right? The, the super egoic voice at the beginning of the text, which is saying that some normal object, a piece of fruit, just a normal object by being prohibited suddenly becomes like, oh, like the iPhone, if I get that, I will lack the lack. Mm -hmm. And instead of obeying the serpentine voice, we have to exorcise it. And religion is the place of the exorcism of the serpentine voice that, that is always saying we need to do, do, do. You know what the, the, the name of the technology is? Grace. Grace is, whenever you experience grace, it's, and it sounds crazy to say, it's the opposite of self-help where self-help is helping you from get to A to B. Grace is you don't need to get from A to B. You don't have to do anything. Mm. You accept that you're accepted. But ironically, as you experience grace where you don't have to do anything, you begin to be able to change. So grace is the technology. That's why we need religion, because we need communities in which we encounter and experience grace, which is the exorcism of the super egoic voice that tells us that we need to, to always try to find a mm -hmm. thing that will get rid of the lack. So we have to, on some level, be aware of the forces beating us over the head with mm. the demand to enjoy, with the demand to be something that we're not, to strive for these ideals and believe that we can get them. Yep. But in order to kind of do that, we have to have some kind of liturgy or space or religion or something that can almost hold up the mirror. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, and this is like a very religious thing, you know, obviously grace, very Christian mm. word, it sounds like this can only come or perhaps happens best in a community structure. Yes, where, I would say so, yeah. Because I'm, 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 as I kind of overlay, you know, all these, you know, 
confessional Christianity with like what with what be- has become that personal salvation project, which mm-hmm. is you can be whole and complete. You can come to the front, put your hand up, pray this prayer, and then oh, if that didn't work a year ago, go again. Like mm-hmm. go again. Oh, maybe perfect something. Oh, confess your sin a bit more. Try and like morally purge yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's this this um. Yeah, just personal purity salvation project. And so, how do you avoid this kind of project? Because it could take the same bent. It could mm. be like, I'm going to enjoy all my lack so yeah. damn bloody well. Yes. But then there's this community element to it, which, once again, is this very religious Jesus where two or more are gathered. That is where you know I am. Mm. It Talk to me about how the community structures may be necessary or not mm, yes and how you negate that tendency yes. to enter into every space under the tyranny of a hidden god i might not be aware of to be perfect i can enter your i can enter wake and be like i'm gonna be so freaking enlightened after this yeah and then and and, and yes. i might not even realize that demand so it's yes. like is this a space that can just show me the demands upon me yes no i get i get what you're saying i love it like anything can become the the thing that we pr- frantically pursue to get rid of our anxiety. So anyway, Soren Kierkegaard, you know, when he beautifully writes on anxiety, he puts his finger on the issue. He says, anxiety is the evidence of our freedom, right? So, and by that he means, he actually calls um, anxiety spirit as well. Because so, anxiety is when you don't know, like in a superficial sense, what you should be doing, what the other wants of you, uh, how you should be acting, right? Certain anxiety, you know, how am I at this party? What should I, did, what did I, did I say something wrong? Whatever. So anxiety is this sense in which I don't know what I should do or where I'm going or whatever. And, you know, Kierkegaard says, the reason why that's evidence of our freedom is because if you know what you should be doing and everything, if you have, if you, kind of, if you're determined, you wouldn't have anxiety. Anxiety is the evidence that we are free, that we have choices, that we can, but we're always a question unto ourselves. And so for Kierkegaard, the problem is not anxiety. The problem is trying to run from it, always trying to hide, not being able to accept our freedom, that to always run from our freedom, which is the opposite of the contemporary medical system, which tries to get rid of your freedom medically, which then gets rid of your spirit, your creativity. So, but, um, the uh, so what was the question? Oh yeah. Um, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, w- what something like Icon is doing is a community is based around shared beliefs, shared identity, shared enemies, often shared enemies. What we're trying to do is what I'm trying to do is create communion. A communion is a, is a group that's gathered together around a shared loss. So communion is the death of God, right? You're mm. you're all gathered together around the death of God. So a communion is a group of people not gathered together through some positive thing that joins them. Mm. And then the enemy out there that yeah. doesn't have it. We're joined together by going we're all lacking. And connect this with the Christian idea of sin. So sin means lack, basically. So an original sin means original lack. And in psychoanalytic terms, original sin or original lack means exactly what I said, which is to be a self is to have experienced an original loss. And an original loss means a loss that comes first. It's very weird. Like if I lose my keys, I had my keys and then I lost them. (laughs) But an originary loss is a loss in which I lost something I didn't have and retroactively fantasize I did. So actually most Christians don't believe in original sin. Most Christians, even the most conservative, generally believe in what's called original blessing. And original blessing is before the loss, there was some wholeness and completeness. Mm -hmm. Um, I radically uh, embrace original sin, which means there's an original lack that marks us. Now, any sinful activity is any activity you do to try to fill the lack, right? So it can be having a child. It could be doing drugs. It can be do- it's not an ethical thing. People think that sin means, yes. you know, something bad. No, That's where. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. But no, it's, it means anything that you do to frantically try to fill, you know, the lack. Mm. Now, interestingly, Christianity's answer to this is not payment uh, of the debt of the lack, but forgiveness. So if you think of... Yeah, right. You know, so if you think of, if I owe you money... That's a debt. That's a, that's basically sin in a sense. Like it's a it's a lack that is present. I there's a difference between not having money and owing money, right? So yeah. owing money is a lack that is present. Now, if I pay the debt, I fill the lack. I get yeah. rid of it by paying it, right? Yeah. But if I forgive the debt, 
I don't feel it. I say the nothingness that is something is now a nothingness that is nothing. So whenever, and so the year of Jubilee was not the payment of debts. Mm -hmm. It was the forgiveness of debts. So when we look at a lot of theology today mm -hmm. in evangelical churches or probably most, like any Hillsong song yes. is singing this. But but more so in uh, the secular God of Los Angeles, yeah. But but it, but it probably includes Hillsong because Hillsong is just an offshoot of the secular God of the demand to enjoy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we, you've got this this story of Jesus didn't forgive your sins, even though that's the language they're using. When I hear your picture you paint, Jesus died for our sins. So he actually, in to that pay story, them. he paid them. He paid them. And then you're now linking that Hillsong being more of a reflection of the transactional nature of our culture. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Hillsong's just like a, a phenomenon of this. It's only a, like a minor phenomenon of the secular demand to enjoy, God of the demand to enjoy. Wrap it you know? in yeah. modern Christian language. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Hillsong's a perverse structure. I, I kind of think there's there's like three in psychoanalysis. There's psychotic structures, perverse structures, neurotic structures. Um, a perverse structure is a structure where there's a universal rule, prohibition for everybody, but you're an exception. So I always get the sense that Hillsong churches, there's uh, the leaders definitely are, the, right, the reason why I say they're an offshoot of the secular demand yes. to enjoy is when you look at Hillsong pastors, they're not, to put psychoanalytic language mm -hmm. on it for a second, yeah. they're not primal fathers. And what I mean by that is they're not strong fathers who prohibit enjoyment. They're what's called oh, anal okay. fathers. And an anal father is a father who enjoys. They enjoy as well, and they're demanding that you enjoy. So when you look at Hillsong leaders, there's something about them that looks like they're really enjoying. Through their clothes and through their mm. style, there's an excess of enjoyment. They, they can, I mean, obviously, and I know, I know a couple of them, but they, they have almost like, they look like rock stars. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're dripping with the, so it's not the father, as I say, who's militaristic and says, we're all castrated. It's the God who says, I'm having a great time and you can have a great and time as you, well. If you follow like, and sex before marriage is, the, is one of the things they're like, oh, I have the best sex in the world because yeah. I'm married. So I'm actually enjoying this stuff. Yes. And you can have, oh yeah. So the structure's the same the same structure as outside yes. being like polyamorous. You, If you were polyamorous, you could be yes. as fulfilled as I am, but yes. this guy's just gone, got a conservative wrapping of like single yeah. partner and he's standing up the front. Yes. I mean, I when I went to Hillsong as a, as a, as a wee lad, mm. to put it in your language, mm. um, it, I'd walk around, I'm like, damn, these guys are so cool. Yeah, of course. Like, they're yeah. all cooler than me. I'm like, yeah. I need tighter jeans. Yeah. Can I get tighter jeans? I met Carl Lenz once. I knew him a little bit and I remember the first time I met him. It was in, it was actually in a coffee shop in the middle of somewhere in America. I can't remember where. And when he walked in, I didn't know who he was. I was with somebody else and I said, that must be a rock star. I, like, I literally might go like, this guy walked in. I'm going, who is he? I didn't know who he was and then my friend knew him. I said, oh, Carl, come on over and we chatted. And, but, it was so funny. The first time I met him, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about him. But when he walked in, it was like he was so well put together. Um, he he looked like a, a, a rock star, a rock star. It was a pure enjoyment. And he, so he was an anal father, anal father being the father of enjoy, you know, enjoyment. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And you put your finger on something very important that like if – you know, maybe you're, maybe this is maybe a very philosophical one. Maybe people haven't lasted, but <laughs> yeah. the, the, one of the reasons why Hillsong does very well, and you touched on it there, and we talked about it at Wake a little bit, but is that so in a society of enjoyment, it's actually very anxiety producing, right? It, it doesn't work, and people just can never get the thing, and they start to feel guilty and jealous. What happens usually is then one of the responses is nostalgic. What they do is people then go back to give me a prohibition, tell me, like give me limits, right? I want limits. I want prohibition on my enjoyment. So what you see, for example, in the 70s, the 60s really in West Coast of America is all the LSD heads, all the acid heads all became Jesus freaks, right? Because the pure enjoyment of the 50s and 60s was not working anymore. So they went, they needed a prohibition and they all went into religion. And now the Jesus freaks are all going back into psychedelics. But very quickly, um, the, the, a lot of people, when they're in the society of enjoyment and they've done it all, they want a certain type of prohibition. But you put the nail on the head, which is because we live in the epoch of the God of the demand to enjoy, you can't go back to pure prohibition. You can't go back to a society where we're orchestrated. The only way it can be dressed up is 
here's a prohibition. And the reason why you should have a prohibition is because that's how to get more it's enjoyment. It's, yeah, it's, so you will get more enjoyment if you're having sex within marriage. That's exactly. what I was yeah. told. Exactly. Exactly. exactly that. Sex is better. Yeah. So that's so basically it's it's weirdly a demand to enjoy, but wrapped up in a nostalgic prohibition, which is why people go to it because it, it it helps with their anxiety a little bit because there's a prohibition, but it doesn't. But it can't free them. It can't free them because it's still wrapped up in a demand to enjoy. So, so we want, on some level, prohibition. I'm thinking of friends. Friends I know grew up in a pretty liberal arm of a conservative church, mm. and a lot of my friends would, who were maybe in the liberal arm you're describing this like anxiety that probably I was feeling walking around Hillsong being like, man, everyone's calling me. That's like an anxious thing to, to kind of anxious space to exist, especially when, when I reflect on it. But then, then the calling of the prohibition of my friends who might've, who started in the liberal arm and then went ha- as hard conservative oh, as they yeah. could tie suit Bible under the arm that perhaps ha- has offered them an alleviation to their anxiety because yeah. they can go, no, no, this is the way. hundred percent. Now I feel yeah. more comfortable here Yeah. and I can just, this prohibition is actually safety. We actually, it serves us. Yeah, exactly. In I some mean, way. it's perfect. It's beautifully said because in what you'll see and you see us in America is that there was this response of, I think it was called the neo-Calvinists or whatever, but you could tell that in order to contain the anxiety of the demand to enjoy, there was a return to prohibition and a lot of young people, that's why scratch a hippie, you get a fascist, right? You know, and it's, uh, that's why always the danger of the, always Every time you have the dominance of the God of the demand to enjoy, you're just around the corner from either nostalgia, a kind of weird form of perverse traditionalism or fascism as, as a way to try to alleviate the anxiety that's generated from the, uh, from the society of enjoyment. And the anxiety that comes from freedom. Yeah, the, because we're all trying to escape our freedom. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> I have I've I've been thinking about that exact thing. It's you know when I was I was thinking about you know people who you know I've well I'm 33 now and many of my years have been in like asking existential questions. Why do I exist? All these sorts of things, and I can't help but think you know if if I was to just have a kid, if I had a child earlier, I probably wouldn't have time to be thinking these sort I wouldn't because oh, I wouldn't yeah. be quote yes. a, a, yeah. as free because you yeah. gotta you know you gotta do what you gotta do to support the family raise a kid do all the good things you should do as a parent but all those big questions that midlife crisis so to speak mm-hmm. it goes away temporarily because your freedom is gone yes and then, you, and then you fantasize about your freedom because I have some friends like oh man you can just go wherever you want like yeah. oh, I'm gonna be home at night or whatever yeah. but in a way they kind of want that they mm. kind of the, there is that restriction those boundaries are actually far more comforting than the anxiety of, of do what you want. Oh, yes. I don't know. I don't know what I want. Oh, to do. yeah. We, do, we, want, we often will hand over our freedom very quickly because freedom is... T- that's, why, that's why Sartre said we're condemned to freedom because he was... He, and I lo- it's a, such a great saying that, you know, it, when you hear it a few times, maybe it weakens like any great saying, yes. but when you really think about yeah. it, it's condemned to yes. freedom. And it's like... And there's a number of meanings to it. And one is you can't get away from it. Even when we pretend we're not free, we're free. That's one mm. thing. And also, um, it's painful. And the Kierkegaardian thing is, like I said, how do we embrace our freedom? Which basically means how do we make space for our anxiety? But it's papered up as yes, this ideal yeah. that we should have, like America, the land of the free, like we're all so free. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the ideal we're, we're kind of wanting to move towards. Yeah. So it's an it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. So finally on this, mm-hmm. you during the week, you sat down with a couple other people mm-hmm. up the front. And you, you're introducing everyone and you're like, you know, we have the psychoanalyst on the end, mm-hmm. highly intelligent woman. Oh. Yes. Jameson Webster. Very brilliant. Very brilliant. Uh, I, too brilliant for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get it. Well, maybe I do. No, I don't. And then you go, and then we've got the philosopher, yeah, Richard, Richard Booth. Booth and, absolutely brilliant. Richard yep, Booth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then you go, and then whatever I am. I can answer that question. Okay. For you. Oh, brilliant. I okay. know what you are. Oh no! Is, is, is this rude? Is this swe- is, this sw- <laughs> is swearing involved? Yeah. <laughs> Put the explicit air on it. You are the pastor. Oh yeah, yeah. And and no. I'll give my justification, and you can like give me the feelings because I think so, you're right. And go for it. Oh, well, great. All right, <laughs> the end. Thanks for Thank listening, you. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pete Rollins thinks I'm mm-hmm. right because there's this curation of like the pastor is to guide people. 
through the big things in life, there was a few pastors at, at, at Wake and he, I was saying, oh, does your church know you're here? Like, like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, they're okay. But, you know, it's always a bit subtle, you know. We're all, there's a lot of closet Rollins and Rob Bell fans out there. <laughs> like, no, we don't tell anyone. Because his role as a pastor is like, someone needs to be there when you're dying. Who's going to be there? They pay me. They pay, because I'm like, yeah, they pay you for a certain set of ideology. How does that feel for you? Because that's why a lot of pastors struggle because they're, the incentive structures, the walls they build around themselves are saying, your money's coming from here. Your children rely on you spouting this doctrine that they pay you to reinforce to them week after week after week. And if you deviate from that, mm. they will kick you to the curb and you will be homeless, especially yeah. in America. Tough, mm. tough place to live. Yeah. <laughs> You're out. And so, but he was also saying, but I'm also paid to be there for the weddings, for the deaths, to, through the hard times and all those sorts of things. And, and then that idea of like, yeah, we, we kind of need a structure. We pay them some money and we need these people to guide us through the hard times in life. So when I transpose that onto you, you seem to be grappling with what's at the core of this tradition? What what are these ideas that, you know, people will argue that's not Christianity to you and you'd be like, well, I mean, um, whatever, however you'd respond to that. But you're also bringing people to this space of liturgy mm. to hold the mirror up, to look at themselves, bring them into community sit with the death that maybe their other community struggle to find ways to sit with it. So I guess you've already said I'm right, so you don't have to defend against it. But yeah. that would be the box, I think, in an interesting way. Yeah. I think you might sit in. I, I like I think you're right. I I like the fact that this whole piece psychoanalyst, philosopher, and pastor. So I like that. You can um, do a podcast yeah, you? Just that. And those are the three three things that I'm interested in. And I, I, and I could say a lot. And so one is you beautifully summed up there how, um, with the, the, in one sense, the, the difficulty of being a confessional pastor, which is sometimes you're paid to believe in people's behalf and that stuff we've, I've talked about elsewhere, but um, is that often people don't necessarily kind of, they, they have this certain lack, but the pastor comes up there and pretends that they're not lacking. We all know the pastor doesn't believe half of what they say and has a bad relationship with their partner and all that. Mm -hmm. But as long as they don't share that and pretend, it's fine. So weirdly, a pastor can't share doubt, unknowing, ambiguity, because sometimes in an unhealthy community, that's... Although people might know that the pastor might have doubts, they don't ever want it expressed. But in a in a in a healthy community, you expressed it beautifully. A healthy community, a pastor is someone who provides space for loss to be symbolized and to be held and to be contained, like those times of death and funerals and those difficult times in life and those beautiful times in life. Because even at a wedding, I think lack has to be there because there's something about you know till death do us part. If you think about that line. Death is there. It's mentioned. Till death do us part. Like, remember death. Remember you will be parted. It's not like you're forever, right? Um, I was talking to someone the other day whose daughter did a, I think it was, it was a uh, TikTok sensation <laughs> where it was, um, and it's quite funny, something about um, till death do us part is, uh, you know, the, um, basically isn't going far enough. It's like, oh yeah, no, you're a quitter, <laughs> right? You're a quitter. That's quite funny. But there's a great thing about even at a wedding, it's going, oh, but remember, in sickness and in health, in, in the good and the bad, and death will part you. And that's not meant to make the wedding sad. It's not meant to make it the rest. It's actually meant to kind of like give it more depth and meaning. It's like, even when we're together and we're in love, and this is amazing, death comes in the way. And, and so the pastor creates a space and holds a lack and there's no, very little places that are systematically designed to help us hold the lack, to hold the lack. And that's my role. And if you wanted to say on one side, you've got a psychoanalyst who, a psychoanalyst begins with your personal lack and your trauma, pain, personal pain. And in psychoanalysis, very gradually, over time, you realize that your personal suffering is part of what it means to be human. So you hit from the personal to the universal. A pastor goes the other direction. They're not talking about your personal suffering generally, except for in moments, but they create a space where we are all together realize that there is a lack that we all hold, but that eventually touches your personal suffering. So the pastor and the psychoanalyst come from different angles, but they hit the same thing. And yeah, so if, if, if a pastor is the, the one who creates a space for us to have a place for the real or the lack, then yeah, I'm a pastor. Pastor Pete Rollins, thanks for taking so much time. Thank you. Finally, to that to the group of people that say, 
This is just some over-intellectualized wankery. <laughs> I don't need it. Yeah. What's your response? Well, maybe you don't. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, I mean, you, you know, this is, we're all struggling through life and we're all got our highs and our lows and, uh, you know, this might resonate with somebody and not with someone else. That's that's great, you know. Yeah. I the, uh, Yeah, the only thing I would say is that, that, you know, forget all the over-intellectual stuff because, you know, I know this has been quite a deep podcast maybe. Forget all that. Just kind of ask ourselves, you know, is there a sense in which we see within our society this demand to enjoy? Where is it that I can escape from that? Maybe it's at the coffee shop. Maybe it's at the confessional. Maybe it's at the poker table or the pool room. Wherever it is that you can go, where you can be with people and somehow feel a bit of freedom from that demand to enjoy um all i'm saying is live into that find that space that's an important space in your life don't underestimate how important that is that's all i'm saying and if people uh don't think it's intellectually wankery they go oh that's kind of good where can they find your stuff um just there's loads of free stuff online just yep. type in my name on there's youtube there's there's uh yeah. there's and the yeah, podcast and you know it's that it's that world He's so there. yeah the it's there yeah Pastor Pete. Thank you. Listen, man, by the way, always love seeing you. Always love being Uh, on the podcast. It's great to see you in person. Yes. And uh, you and your partner and hanging out in Belfast. So thanks for coming. And yeah, thanks for continuing to ask me questions and, you know, expose me to your audience. No worries. I'm trying to like over time just translate some of these ideas because over like years I'm going, I think that's what he means. No, I don't know. And then things drop. So if you're new to Pete's stuff, but you were saying great stuff as well. Like I was like, you were, you know, whether I'm being influenced by you or you by me, when you were saying stuff, I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, thanks for tuning in and I'll catch everyone in the next episode. Bye-bye. G'day, friends of the show. Thanks for listening to Ideas Digest. If you would like to show your support, head over to ideasdigest.org. Sign up, become a plus subscriber. You'll get access to exclusive content or you can just buy us a coffee. Won't buy coffee with it, but I'll use it for other things to keep the show going. Thanks for your support. Before I rest my eyes.